0: Hello there, you're listening to the Act 29 Europe podcast, conversations on church planting in Europe. My name is Dan Steele, I'm pastor of a church in Oxford and along with my co-host Steve Robinson from Liverpool, we want to hear from different guests about what God is doing in different contexts in the vast expanse of Europe, to be better informed and encouraged, to know how to be praying and to, under God, plant more and healthier churches that thrive and flourish as they take the message of Jesus into a world that needs to hear of him. again, my name is Dan Steele. Um, Happy New Year and welcome to the Act 29 Europe podcast. If you listened in last time, you'll know this month we've not got new interviews, but we are putting out a couple of really helpful sessions um, from a training event called Equip, based in Manchester from back in 2019. They're from a seasoned church planter called Graham Vinen, um, And it's our hope and our prayer that they will do um, you and do us good uh, as we listen and as we look ahead to this next year.
1: On this handout, a framework for growth, uh, session three. Um, Look, what we've done is we have laid something of a foundation from Ephesians. Um, We're going to kind of have that as our background. We're not looking at a particular Bible passage in this session or the next one. We're going to think in this session about a framework for growth, and the next session tomorrow morning, a framework for planting. And this is now. A kind of practical ways of thinking, tools to employ, but let's have all of the Ephesian stuff in the back of our minds, um, front of our minds, um, because that's what we're trying to put into practice. And I'm just trying to try and encourage us, trying to go go from exposition to practicality, and help us think about that. Let me just say one thing off the back of the last session, um, which um, Steve kindly picked up. when we describe that maturing, growing church and the, the gifted uh, leaders, the gifts, you know, equipping the body, the work of ministry, everyone's involved. So, and then you picture your church, you, you, you may be encouraged and think we've got good elements of that. You may think, man, we are a world away from this. And what I don't want you to do is to then kind of either, well, two, two bad reactions, I guess. One would be you're just paralysed. And you just go, I don't know what to do then. This is hopeless. Uh, Don't be paralysed by how daunting that feels. Uh, But secondly, don't try and change everything in one go by preaching the best sermon ever in the world that, that is going to change everyone's understanding of church and they'll suddenly all hang around, they'll all interact with each other. It's slow, steady, Focused growth—you don't get there in one go. So, um, so don't think you'll you'll hit it with one-stop shopping, but don't be paralysed. Do ask yourself, what can we do? Who could we train? Who could what? What area of church life might we focus on? Even if it means leaving that area over there that I don't think is very good. You have, you have to learn to live with what you don't like in church life. <laughs> I'm looking at Ruben's looking at me like, what is he saying? <laughs> you do. You have to learn to, because you can't change everything at once. Uh, you have limited capacity. It takes time for growth to happen. So deciding where to focus your effort and where the most important areas are Even to the exclusion of other areas of the sorts of judgment calls you're going to have to make. And uh, I hope that this framework I'm going to give you now is going to be helpful for you in thinking through where where might that be? Where might we focus? Okay, so uh, we should pray, shouldn't we? Let me pray. Father God, help us as we reflect together. We want to see your church growing up into the fullness uh, of the measure of all the stature of Christ. And we ask in your kindness, you'd help us as we think uh, in more practical ways. And as we reflect on our own church, lead us, please, to see where we should be investing, where we should be leading, that we might grow in this way. Amen.
2: Look, there are various what I've called
1: frameworks for growth. I just put a little list there for you on the handouts. Uh, I I want to talk you through these briefly and then give you the one I want to suggest we reflect on. But I want to acknowledge there are other ways of thinking. You could come up with a list of priorities for your church. You could say word, prayer, community, evangelism. Maybe you'd add to to those and go, "Here, here are our key priorities of what's going on. And word appears in these ways and prayer appears in these ways and so on. And then when you want to ask how are we growing, you look back at those key areas How are we doing in the word? How are we doing in prayer? And so on. Priorities. Some people use what I've called polity markers. Um, More kind of, I'm I'm thinking here of a group like Nine Marks, uh, Capitol Hill Baptist, if you know them. Things like, you've got to have biblical preaching, membership, discipleship, discipline. And some of them are like priorities, but some of them are more kind of, you do this thing a certain way. Uh, Biblical leadership, it should look like this. Biblical membership, it should look like this. Um, And that's coming out of a very, I guess, very kind of tight uh, ecclesiology policy. I've got a lot of time for it. I think it's got a lot of great things in it. Um, And so uh, the classic book from Nine Marks is Nine Marks of a Healthy Church. You could take those nine marks and say, here are our markers of growth and how we're going to assess ourselves. You could look at what I've called the dynamics So you're thinking more about activities, teaching going on, how is teaching one another, loving one another, serving one another, celebrating the gospel, uh, gossiping the gospel, evangelizing, uh, caring for our community. And so again, you're you're listing now certain activities you want to see happening, dynamics in play. Uh, Some people use um, a church promise or, or church covenant. Or some kind of vision statement, maybe vision and value statement. Um, uh, f- church I planted in, in Leicester, we had five vision and value statements, which we came up with, uh, which were really helpful for us. And we then went back through them. How, how are we doing in these five areas? Uh, current church in Cambridge, we've come up with a church promise, that, which we use in various ways. I mean, introducing people to the church and reminding ourselves our aspirations as a church. Um, We developed it in the planting process. We'll talk about that a little bit tomorrow morning. Um, And we could look back through our promise and say, how are we doing in these areas? So look, some different frameworks people could use to assess growth. The the helpfulness of these sorts of things. Let me just mention this because I know you know, what you could do is you could spend ages coming up with a vision statement or something and then you go, oh, great, isn't that a brilliant vision statement? We've spent we've hours in committees arguing over this word or that word and then you put it on your website and it makes no difference to, to your life. Yeah, no, I know that happens. So, coming up, spending lots of time on these things could be a waste of time. The reason I mention them is they can be helpful... Um, partly in the whole process of putting it together forces you to think what are the measures of growth? What are we standing for here? How do we want to assess ourselves? Let's take Ephesians 4 and let's try and sum it up. Let's give some headlines as to what we want to see happening here. The very process is helpful to you in crystallizing what you're aiming at Secondly, it can then be used for ongoing assessment. How are we doing in these areas? That There is a problem here, I think. Um, you know, in, in, um, classically, uh, in this sort of area, you set yourself you know, smart targets, which are specific and measurable, measurable and achievable and so on. Um, but we just said from Ephesians 4, you know, quality church is quality relationships, how do you measure relationships? I mean, that, that's, how do you measure treasuring Christ? You know, so, so some of it is tricky, but I still think you can ask the question, and I still think there's a helpfulness in assessing how you're doing, and therefore, where you want to push, where, where you want to see growth. And I think, thirdly, they can be used... And be very influential in some of your decision making and result in a kind of consistency in church life, which will aid growth. Let me just let me give you one really practical example, but I think it's helpful because it's so practical. Church plant in Leicester, we were discussing communication in the church, Um, notice sheets. do Do people really know what's going on? Um, how many notices do we have on a Sunday morning? You know, just how do we do communication well? And someone said, why don't we have various notices on the, on the, on, on the screen, you know, uh, rolling around on the screen before the service starts? So then people can be sitting there, they can read the notices and so on. And, it's, I've, you know, I've been at churches that have had exactly that sort of thing. You've probably seen that sort of thing. And then one of my elders wonderfully said, well, how does this fit with our vision and values? And at one level, I thought, well, hang, on, we're talking about something really practical here. Why, why are we going up to vision and values? But he was absolutely right. So, vision, what, what, what's one of our vision and values? One of our vision and value statements is what do we want to be? We want to be a loving family. That's one of our key kind of values and ethos of what church is. So, what do we want before the service starts? Do we want people sitting in rows reading notices? Or do we want people interacting and chatting with each other because we're a family what do you want the field to be and so he said no no, no we and it was obvious then of course we're not going to have notices on a powerpoint no that's that's time that's that you make those sorts of decisions all the time in church life but if you make those decisions in line with your vision for church and where you're trying to go and grow then there'll be a consistency in what you're doing rather than effectively an undermining of what you're trying to aim for. So having some kind of framework can be helpful in those three ways. Let me um, give you what I've called a gospel framework. Of course, if you call it a gospel framework, you have to agree with it because if you put the word gospel in front of anything, it automatically becomes brilliant. Um, uh, Let me explain how it works. Um, and I should say, on the sheet, so, um, can, we, can we bring up, thank you, um, th- that's what the diagram should look like. <laughs> you, you may have been looking at the handout and thinking, I don't know what that arrow's about. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the explanation of this, that there is no explanation. Um, it's just formatting from words. So that's what it should look like. You can adjust your own diagram. The gospel message about Jesus creates church. As the gospel spreads in the book of Acts, it does not just leave behind converted individuals. As the gospel spreads, as the word spreads, in its wake, you find churches. The gospel creates churches. And the gospel should then shape churches. The gospel message shapes the nature of what church is and church life. We've seen it already in Ephesians the gospel message of God's love and forgiveness should then shape church. Church should be a place where we reflect God's love and forgiveness. It is shaped by the gospel message. So we've got... I'm, 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 I'm going to go free range here. We've got, um, we've got the gospel message. You think of the gospel community then you've got, okay, the message of forgiveness. This should now be a community of forgiveness because it is shaped by the gospel. But then we've got what I called the gospel leaders. Uh, they, of course, I know are part of the community. I'm not putting them in a different category. But they too will then be specifically shaped by the message. So a message, for example, uh, of how Christ serves us. And so Jesus speaks of those who are going to be leaders in his community need to be servant leaders. So a message of a servant saviour results in servant leaders. The gospel shapes the sorts of leaders they are. That's just two quick examples. Um, let, me just, let, me, let me talk to you the framework a bit more. And, and I, It might sound a bit bizarre, but I want to illustrate it because um, it will bring it home, I think, uh, with uh, greater force by by using effectively a a distortion of the gospel message. Let's let's think through what a really bad version of this could look like. That'll highlight what a good version looks like, okay? So let's take the prosperity gospel. Okay? So just imagine the gospel message that is being proclaimed as the prosperity gospel. Health and wealth if you believe in Jesus and if you live for him, maybe specifically give to him, he will respond in blessing to you. That's the message, okay? What will the gospel community look like? How will that message shape that community? It's not a rhetorical question. Tell me. Yeah, so you'll celebrate health and wealth. You'll, you'll minimize other stuff, even despise, I mean, suffering, How will suffering be viewed in that community? Yet, what's it doing here? So people will either be disillusioned, why am I doing this, or they'll feel effectively condemned. I shouldn't have this in my life. Maybe now it's even a gospel community where depending who you are and what's happening in your life in that community, you're looked down on because you're suffering, or you're admired because you're doing so well. Anything else in the community, how that will shape it? Yeah, so a focus within this community of what I have here and now. It ceases so much to be a community of hope and looking forward. It's a community all about what is going on now in my life. Yeah? Yeah, and then it will cultivate a lack of sacrifice. It's all about blessing in my life. And if I give anything up, it's only to receive more. I give generously, but only so that I'm going to get even more for myself. So actually, I mean, there's, some, there's, you know, there's something true. There's something true in most heresy. That's the thing that's true in the prosperity gospel is, is that we can never outgive God. No sacrifice we ever make for God will go unrewarded, either now or in the future. You know, you, you never give to God and are disappointed. Yeah, that, that's true. But the measures are spiritual measures, not just material measures. Whereas here, it's all material. And so I must see it in my life now. Uh, what about the gospel leaders? If that's the message, what will the gospel leaders look like? Rich. <laughs> Seriously, if this is your message, and you drive up, your car in the car park is a 15-year-old Fiesta with the with the bumper hanging off. It's not going to stack up, is it? You, you have to look the part. Go on, how, how else will that play out? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So along here, these guys must look up to these guys. You've got to look better than these guys. You're the example. Yeah? They aspire to be you because you've got it sorted. You are the embodiment. Anything else for the leaders? And how will that play out in the leader's life? You use people in what way? Yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Self, self-aggrandizing. They're not going to serve people. Okay. Anything else about the leaders? Yeah. You're gonna, you're gonna have to put a mask on. As what happens when your life starts to fall apart a bit? You, you know, I, I, Hugo kindly and helpfully encouraged us to be honest yesterday. If we were a meeting of prosperity gospel leaders, we would not be being honest it would be about how brilliant our church was and how well we're doing. And that would play out in the life of the church. Yeah, because I can't let the mask slip. Now, look, that's how the message would start to shape,
2: horribly
1: shape, the community and the leaders. The point is, is that the message shapes these two and the relationship between them but the arrows go in both directions. What happens if you actually preach the right gospel, but your leaders are all wonderfully shiny, beautiful examples of Christians who drive nice cars and never admit sin? What if your gospel community actually looks down on someone who's poor, Or someone who's struggling and suffering and makes them feel like they're not really trusting Jesus very well, because if they were, they'd pull themselves up a little bit. If that was what was actually happening in practice, even though you're saying the right thing, the life of the community is saying, actually, we believe something else. Yeah? The gospel is is taught and shapes us. And it is also caught from the way we live life. And if we hold up the, the, the bright and the beautiful
2: and the successful, we're saying something about the gospel. Does that make sense? And so what we are after
1: here in this framework is a coherent and connected message, community and leaders. So what I want us to do is to n- now think of the good and glorious gospel and think, what would the message of the gospel mean for what the community looks like? We've already mentioned one: forgiveness. What would it mean for the leaders we've mentioned one, servanthood. What would it mean for the relationship between the leaders and the community? And I want you to do some work. So guys on the left-hand side over there. You take gospel and community, that line. Guys in the middle, gospel to the leaders. Guys on the right, leaders to community. You can think from Ephesians. There's lots of material in Ephesians we've already got. You can think elsewhere in Scripture. How would that diagram look well? How should it look? What dynamics should be in play? How should the gospel shape these different lines? What would a healthy church look like as a result? With your neighbours for a moment, and then more feedback. Great. A community that will accept others uh, with mercy, compassion, non-judgmental. You think, you know, accept one another as Christ accepted you. There's the command. Steve? (laughs) Yeah. And so when you say both, you mean the two things? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the indicatives and the imperatives, as you saw yesterday. So the, the, the sorry, um, uh, the, in Ephesians, the indicatives, the glorious truths of chapters 1 to 3 resulting in the imperatives of chapters 4 to 6, the distinctive life of God's people uh, as different um, from the world. Other areas on, yeah, thank you, several things in there. Unity, the one thing which Steve was encouraging us with yesterday. The gospel will lead to a united community, no matter how different they are, no matter how diverse. Uh, You know, Ephesians 2, the creation of the one new man in Christ uh, from Jew and Gentile. Uh, Galatians 3, in, in Christ there is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave and free, male nor female those were the three massive divisions of the first century. There were, there were gulfs, you know, between uh, these groups. It's an incredible thing to say that in this community, the, those distinctions don't apply. It, not that you stop being Jewish or Greek or slave or free or male or female, but that, but the, the, dis, the, the division there was between you was gone. And so a... a, a an incredibly different but
2: wonderfully attractive community as a result. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, so grace towards each other. In fact, in, um, in Colossians 3, when it says, forgive as the Lord forgave
1: you, and literally it's simply be gracious to each other as the Lord has been gracious to you. Now, it's in the context of having sinned against someone and so grace in that context means be forgiving but literally it's just he's been gracious so you're gracious this is a community of grace
2: that's why grace church is the best name for a for a (laughs) for, for a church thank you yeah yeah absolutely absolutely there are there 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 is leadership here But there is no
1: hierarchy here because we we, we believe in the same gospel. You know, the whole level ground at the foot of the cross. No one's standing any higher than anyone else. In fact, everyone's as sinful as anyone else. doesn't matter how messed up and wrecked your life is and how seemingly sorted or successful my life is in comparison. There is no difference. We both need the same gospel. We rejoice in the same saviour. That creates a different type of community. It's it's hard to put into practice, to realize
2: that in practice, but that's a different sort of community. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so the growth of this community, Ephesians
1: 4, um, is from Christ. He's continually resourcing it, as it were. It's not a self-sufficient community. And, And so it's going to be a humble community. These are, hard, these are hard things to hold together. We're wonderfully accepting of each other. We're breaking down divisions. We're living a distinctive life, and yet we're not self-righteous. But the gospel can create that. It should create that. That's a picture of quality church now. We, we, we could keep going. Um, what else? I, I've put anything else down here. Um, uh, g- uh, generosity would be another fact, feature in this community that closeness of relationships, that, you know, know when Paul says, "Um, be patient with each other and bear with each other and forgive each other, yeah?
2: Describing this community. What's he assuming? You know each other. Go on. What else is he assuming? You find each other difficult. You
1: know each other well enough to find each other difficult you rub shoulders with each other close enough to have to be patient now if you all sit in a meeting and go home those commands don't apply and unless the person next to you sings really badly you know oh, I have to be patient with him I don't think that's what Paul's talking about so we've, we've said in our church, it might sound bizarre, if we're not close enough to annoy each other, we're not close enough. Because the gospel should make us close, such that we have to bear with each other and forgive each other and be patient with each other. It's a closeness of community that's being generated by the gospel. We're one body now, and so on and so on. Great.
2: Leaders, central guys here. How does the leader shape? Yeah. So, complete and utter dependence on God and his grace. Thank you. Others? Yep, so seeing themselves as a part of the community, in need of grace themselves, not better than anybody else. Gifted and having a different role, but not better. Yeah? Owning mistakes. If we believe it's grace, and if we believe it's that by God's
1: mercy we have any kind of ministry, we, we do not have to be perfect ministers. We can own our mistakes. Honesty of leaders of saying, I got that wrong, please forgive me, means they are being gospel-shaped ministers.
2: That's huge. And, and, and all of us can want to just put on the right face yeah remaining teachable thank you and needing others to do you know, when paul says teach one another he's not going i oh,
1: don't and i don't mean the leaders you know, i need people to teach me encourage me spur me on i need to be a recipient of the mutual ministry of the church i'm not
2: beyond that above that or any other thing else Brilliant. Thank you. Equipping the people. Great. Further back, someone had that? Yeah. So where, where's that part? <laughs> okay. So
1: <laughs> I didn't know the West Country was, you know. There are going to be different... See, the leaders... The leaders do need to be good examples, don't they? They need to be shaped by the gospel. So Not that they're perfect. Of course they're not. And of course they'll still sin and own their sin. But the criteria for leadership, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1, you know, that, that, those lists mean something. They're not unachievable, but they do set a bar. And so you do, a leader should embody the life of the gospel as a good example
2: to some extent. Otherwise they shouldn't be a leader. They've disqualified themselves. Anything else? Yeah. 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 Sure, yeah. But appropriate gospel
1: ambition—an ambition for the glory of Christ. Now, you want that to be true of the whole community. It's not. It's not limited to the leaders. But you want the leaders to set an example and try and set the pace on it. Of course, you do. Last one on this side, and then we we'll have to move on. I'm afraid. Yeah. Thank you. Great. You yeah, uh, uh, two Timothy in particular, gu- guarding the good deposit, holding on to it firmly. Titus 1, who should be um, an overseer or an elder, someone not only with the character qualifications, but someone who firmly holds the sound message, the true message of the gospel. And it's not just that they hold it, as in when you ask them what they believe, they say the right thing. It's how they hold it. It has the sense of, Gripping it tightly because this is a precious message. This is the most important message. We mustn't change this message. It's like you'd have to prize my fingers off it rather than I would say I believe it. You want that to be true of everybody. They believe it. And, of course, you want it to be precious to them, but you, your leaders must grip it tightly. Guys over here, this is a harder one. The gospel, uh, the community and the leaders how does the
2: gospel shape that relationship? It should be a very short arrow between the two, meaning... Yep. Yep. So they're, they're
1: part of the community. We've, as you as said already, they're not holding themselves above others, not lording it over people.
2: Yep. Otherwise, that relationship should work. Yeah. 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 Exactly. Exactly. It's not a hierarchy, but there's a right
1: uh, example, not, not that there can't be, you know, it's not that there can't be ministry from the community to the leaders. Of course, people, you know, people in my small group encourage me all the time, but I
2: should be an example to them. Other areas? Yeah, there should, I mean, there should be, let me go free range again, gospel leaders should
1: be loving and serving these guys, yeah? That shapes who they are and how they function. If you're, if you're a leader of a church, you—you—we you know, said earlier about the, the danger of like church is like a platform and you just perform and you get applause. No, it, the picture should more be I, am on my knees serving these people. The gospel, you know, uh, one Corinthians three, one Corinthians four, a lot of language of servant and steward. Uh, Paul uses of himself and others in his ministry team to serve the church and to love the church. 1 Thessalonians 2. We loved you so much. We shared the gospel with you. We shared our lives with you. Yeah. And then from the community, appropriate respect and honor to the leaders, because the the gospel message teaches us that, that there is, you know, we want to be under the lordship of Christ, don't we? You know, it's not, this isn't just free forgiveness, live as you like. I want to be under the lordship of Christ. How does the lordship of Christ work out in the gospel community? Through the gospel leaders teaching the word of Christ to the people. So you should respect your leaders. You should obey your leaders. You should submit to their authority. Hebrews 13, 17 uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, honour those who are over you in the Lord. There's an, you know, authority in the church is a good thing because it should reflect the authority of Christ. It's only ever a loving, caring, serving authority, but it is still there and that should be respected. And that, I fear, is an element of healthy, growing churches that we are, we are very authority-shy. In our culture. For good reason, authority's been badly used. And to have churches that display loving, caring authority, but it is still true authority. That, that 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 takes careful thought as to how you articulate it, how you say it. We all know we can be heavy-handed, but we can also be overly passive. Look, there's three areas. Um, let me just um, comment on one little thing in the um, in this last thing, the, the gospel community and the leaders thing. Um, uh, just thinking about how you how you work out those relationships, as i has been thinking about it slightly. Um, one Timothy five, Paul talks to Timothy and says how he should regard relationships with people in the community. You should regard older older men as fathers, older women as mothers. Uh, younger women as uh, um, sisters with absolute purity, younger men as brothers and so on. I, I take it there. there's this whole family analogy, and um, you can place yourself in, in different you know an, an, older, an older man could regard himself as, as, as a father to Timothy and so on. and uh, he's my son. so you can work the different relationships different ways. But that is, I think. Really significant for leaders in how they regard their community and how they're going to appropriately love and respect people in the church. And I worry that we don't always kind of get that. So one area I've thought about, I've done some speaking on recently is on complementarianism and um, role of women and so on. I'm a I'm a happy complementarian. I've got no questions about it, but I worry that uh, we haven't got hold of that family picture and how particularly do blokes who are leaders relate to women in the congregation. And I think that idea of mother or sister or daughter, depending on age and stage, is really helpful. What does it mean? It It means while we all know there are massive dangers between relationships of the opposite sex. And there are all sorts of things, of course there are. Paul says, sisters with absolute purity. But there must be relationships. He doesn't just say, well, women your age could be dangerous, Paul, so I'd just steer clear if I were you. He expects there to be family relationships rather than just, you know, keep your distance. Um, and it's something Karis and I have been talking about, um, uh, about how that set of relationships gets worked out and whether, f- basically, whether there is some kind of instinctive institutional sexism in some of our churches. And I've asked Karis just to say a couple of words um, on this. Um, only a couple of words, but uh, come on, caught up. Uh,
2: she's got her head covered, appropriately. <laughs>
3: I don't want to over-egg this, and I'm sure there are lots of groups that are are potentially more excluded. Um, Certainly, um, a friend of mine who's same-sex attracted woman, um, she finds, as a woman with lesbian leanings, it's like, where's her place in the church? Or if you are in an ethnic minority within a church, whatever that grouping is, how you could feel alienated. But... um, We have been thinking about this, and and just some areas have sort of seemed to rise to the surface of, are there ways in which our bodies behave in a way to um, not love, uh, specifically with men between women, not loving um, women as mothers and sisters? And I found an article, it's not a Christian article, and it's called, How Men Constantly and Casually Drive Women Out of the Workplace. So it's just about how colleagues can behave without knowing what they're doing and the impact that has. And I thought sometimes this might happen a little bit in church. I hope it doesn't happen in your church, but just perhaps reflect on this, okay? So here's a quote, it's talking about a woman. There are a thousand little ways Sara was reminded of her second-class status at work, or perhaps church. She was regularly mistaken for a secretary by employees from other labs and by people calling the office phone. She was chronically interrupted by every man she worked with from her boss down to summer interns. Every conversation was an opportunity for men to talk over her, to assume she didn't know what she was talking about, to question her expertise and then explain her own job to her. It didn't matter that she had years of proven success at in that position with more experience than most of the men around her. They assumed that she didn't know much. There are lots of little ways that men devalue women at work, or perhaps church. It's not just the big overt acts. Often it's a quieter problem of casual alienation, exclusion, and professional disrespect that makes their job or their church membership not what it might be. It's the everyday grind from typical everyday men that wears women or ethnic minorities or same-sex attracted people down to the point that they'd rather step away. That doesn't seem to be a reflection of the gospel where Jesus praised Martha, uh, Mary, well, he, he praised both of them, but he praised Mary for sitting in to get to know him better. Uh, churches should be communities where women are encouraged to engage their minds and hearts in following Christ and living wholeheartedly for Him, and as brothers and sisters, that we would respect and love each other and learn from each other, in a context of male leadership.
2: Yeah, He's taking my notes
1: away. Thank you. That's really helpful. I, I find that a challenging thought as to what. What deep assumptions might I make and how that might come out and how I treat people? And I want to be shaped by the gospel so that I accept people, I love people, I care for people, I care for everybody. And none of us has arrived here. Uh, our time is going. Um, just, just take one minute, uh, box over the page, for you and your church, which lines are strong or weak? how might you start to address some of those weaknesses? Just one minute with your neighbour, and then I'll finish off
2: with some stuff for an organisation. Yeah, thank you, it's a great question. Um,
1: I think in terms of our struggles with sin, we, wanna, we, must, we must speak regularly and be honest that we we fight sin, you know, and you can use different language. I find this hard. I struggle with this, etc. You don't. I mean, you can do that. It's it's different levels of openness and explicitness in different contexts. So I wouldn't go into detail in a sermon about my struggles with pride or lust or whatever. But I would mention I struggle with pride. You know, i i I'd, I'd, I'd say that. I wouldn't detail it. But all that I just, you know, we all fight sin. I fight sin. You fight, you know. So you're just always putting yourself on the same page as people. If I'm talking with an individual, I might go into more detail, and, and uh, it depends on who it is, it depends on the dynamic of that relationship. I go you know, happily share far more amongst our elders, and we often do share uh, in that sort of way. Um, I'd be more cautious with other people, but it would depend on the relationship. In terms of the pressures of church life. You want to be very careful not, to, you know, basically communicate to people, man, you're such a burden <laughs> uh, to me, um, and so, but but we don't want to just be smiley, happy, the joy of service. It's great, isn't it? You know, and I think I think again, just you choose your words carefully. You can say, you know, it it it, 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 you know, it can be a heavy load in church life, but it's also, but it's a privilege to serve people. And, you know, you're not trying to big it up, but you're not trying to play let's pretend. Any other thoughts? Anyone else want to come in on that? Any older, wiser guys? Okay, leave that. Any other, any other questions,
2: comments, things to add? Yeah. Stand up, stand up. i see you. Yeah, Yeah. thank you. So, I mean, look, you've got
1: to, you've got to give them a vision. People have got to be convinced. You've got to give them a vision of church. Um, uh, so you've got, to, you've got to paint that picture. You've got to teach the scriptures. Show them what the church really is. You've got to name and shame the bad stuff, you know. Um, but then you've got to give, I mean, we're going to come to organization tomorrow. There, there are then organizational ways of helping people do things. So, I mean, I mean for me, the role of small groups here is an essential. So, we simply say to people if you're part of our church, you're in a small group. You know, small groups are not, are not a, a ministry you could go to if you want to. We say Sunday meetings are brilliant and insufficient. If all you do is come on Sundays, your experience of church is defective. That's the word I usually use to try and make people go, huh? You know, you don't want a defective church experience, do you? Because this is not, that is not all that church is. So you must be in a small group. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it has to be small groups. In our context, we use small groups. Um, You know, you can do community, community life can be done in lots of different ways, But decide what it looks like in your context, teach that to people, and then try and organize your church in a way that says this is what's important to us, rather than making everything else optional so they can just sit in a meeting.
2: I better stop, or do I let? I've got to. Bring it on. Most of this is self-analytical. Is there a place for external review? Absolutely. And there's a place for,
1: this is self-analytical. Don't think this is individual analytical. Don't, don't just sit in your study with my diagram and think, oh, where do we go? Talk with your leaders. There are, there are moments where it's appropriate to talk as a church. You know, it's also one of our, some of our, I can't remember what it was, our four-year anniversary, I think it was. We went through our church promise and basically said, how are we doing? And we discussed that in sermons and in small groups and other meetings. And as a church said, how are we? So not just me, not just me and the elders. But then there can be a great opportunity to invite someone in from outside and say, you know, give us an Ofsted. Give us a once over. Tell us what you think. You might be wrong. And the leaders in the local church have to take responsibility for the assessment and the action planning. But give us some input that will stimulate thoughts thank
0: you thanks so much for listening um, hopefully you enjoy Graham do uh, leave us a review and a like and a subscribe and all that kind of stuff and you can always email us on europepodcast at act29.com um, next time we'll be back with some really exciting interviews from partners around Europe um, So, they speak to you again in a couple of weeks